Please turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Titus. Titus, along with First and Second Timothy, these are known as the pastoral epistles. So the Apostle Paul wrote to particular men who were pastors, to Timothy and to Titus, and he gave them very specific charges in these letters. The Apostle Paul wrote these toward the end of his life. And in Titus, he gives a specific charge, the Apostle Paul, to Titus. He writes, complete the work that has already been started there in Crete. The charge is to establish elders in every city, men of Christian faith and integrity, men who can teach, men who can shut down false teachers. This exactly is the work we're doing here at Christ Church. So you may have wondered, we are doing the work of a church plant. We are a church. We are a church plant. We are working to establish and raise up leaders, particularly elders, who can lead this church. So as we move along in this work, pray with us that elders would be raised up. Why establish elders in the cities? Why establish elders in Crete? Why establish elders anywhere? Well, the Apostle Paul can't do the work alone, right? Titus could not do the work alone. Anyone remember Jethro's advice to Moses? What was Moses doing with the nation of Israel? Moses was trying to judge all the people of Israel. Can you imagine how tiring? There's Moses and that cantankerous, rowdy bunch out in the desert. And Moses is judging the greatest cases to the tiniest cases. So Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to Moses and says, you need to stop this. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear out all these people. So set up other people, other, uh, other elders, other men who can help you in this work. Even if Moses could do it, Phoenix stood up 24 hours a day judging. That had a definite time constraint on it because Moses was eventually going to die, Right? If Moses refused to do the work of raising up other elders for the work of judging and leading the people, then after Moses died, all those people would have no leader. So a pastor, like the Apostle Paul, has the work of raising up leaders, raising up elders. Moses died, and there are no leaders. What a sad state for all the people to be in, right? Without a leader, it's a sad and scary state. Because I'll tell you, leaders will rise. You may have heard, authority hates a vacuum. Authority will rise to the occasion. When Solomon built the temple, there were 3,600 supervisors. So if you go back and read, 
the numbers of the men who built the temple. There were 3,600 supervisors. Why were there so many? Well, what's the job of any supervisor? Second Chronicles says there were 3,600 supervisors to make the people work. How many men built the temple? 150,000. There were 70,000 who were carrying loads, 80,000 who were doing another job. 150,000 men, 3,600 to supervise them. That's one supervisor leading roughly 42 men, if you do the math. Some people can do the math in their heads. And if you say, well, that's not too many, leading around 41, 42 people. So how many men do you lead? How many people do you lead? If you're honest, half the time it's enough work to lead yourself, to get yourself up in the morning and do what you have to do to take care of yourself, right? Leading people is hard work, but it's work that must be done. So why the supervisor? Second Chronicles said, again, it was to make the people work. Because if there weren't leaders, then you'd have 150,000 men wandering around, collecting a paycheck and just looking up at the sky or laying down in the dirt, doing nothing. They would be getting something done, but not the work. Have you had a boss who didn't expect a lot from his people? A boss who didn't really challenge you or push you? Or have you ever had a boss who just never showed up for work or showed up when he wanted to? You ever had a leader like that? Kids, have you ever showed up in your classroom and the teacher just wasn't there? Yeah. What happened? What happened that morning the teacher wasn't there? Lord of the Flies, right? It gets, it gets ruckus real quick. And when you see that, when the, when the actual authority isn't there, one of the students rose up to the occasion of being the authority, right? Oh, yeah. Authority hates a vacuum. Someone's going to rise up. If you don't have a leader, the work results are terrible. The opposite is true. If you have a good leader, work's going to get done. Kids, have you ever had a teacher who expected very little of you? So let's say you're studying for the SATs, and you have a tutor who teaches you about the SATs. Well, you can read a couple books and do a couple math problems. You might think at the time, oh, this is great. You know, not a lot is required of me. But be honest, you love the teacher who expects you to get real work done. I understand there's at least one dad here who expects results from his kids on the soccer field, for example. Expects to push them. And what are their results? Well, you might have some tears and some crying at first, but the end result was a better soccer player. Without a leader, 
It's the end of the book of Judges all over again. How does Judges end? What's that? Yeah. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, can you just get a glimpse of how it would be if even us in this room didn't have a leader and everyone did what was right in his own eyes? It'd be, it'd be terrifying. A godly leader is so helpful. All of those of you who are in leadership or who are looking to that, listen. A godly leader is helpful because he doesn't make up his own selfish, wicked commands. He's not petty in his leadership. He directs the people to look at God the Father's commands. A godly leader leads how God has commanded him to lead. And that's a protection to everybody. It's dangerous when a leader comes in and commands his own self, selfish, self-willed commands. A godly leader, a godly elder, does not build his own kingdom. He builds God's kingdom. So, please open up to Titus. And before, before we read, I just want to give an overview of it. It's a short letter. I want to give an overview before we read the first four verses. That will help you get the context when we do open up and read. So he opens up with a greeting and the purpose of his letter, like the Apostle Paul does in his letters. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Well, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete. He spells it out to him. That you would set in order what remains, appoint elders in every city. Then the Apostle Paul, if you're following along there in chapter 1, Paul gives qualifications for elders. 13 positive qualifications, and 6 negative. 13 elders must be this way, and 6 elders must not be this way. Why elders? Verse 10, for there are many rebellious men. And the Apostle Paul, he's very detailed in describing these rebellious men. And then he tells Titus how to deal with them. Verse 13, you have rebellious men, what do you do about it? For this reason, reprove them severely. You can see Titus gets very intense. We'll get there eventually. Reprove them severely so that Titus can be proud and pugnacious and just go around playing whack-a-mole with everyone. No, verse 13, so that they may be sound in the faith. So chapter 2, Titus gives positive commands what to do. The Apostle Paul tells Titus to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He gives commands to older men. He gives commands to older women, which are wildly popular in our feminist age today. He gives commands to young women and to young men. And all the while, Titus must be a good example And then he commands bond slaves as well. Why all these commands? 
Verse 11 of chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, to teach us, to instruct us, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then a charge to Titus in verse 15 of chapter 2, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. The Apostle Paul writes a similar thing to Timothy. If you know your Bible, you know he writes to Timothy, let no one disregard you for your, for your youth. Let no one disregard you. And then finally, in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul charges, be subject to rulers and authorities. We need to hear that today. We rebel against and despise authority today. All of us. So, I was listening to a podcast on how men and women socialize differently. And it was fascinating. Uh, Toward the end of it, the guy, so there was a lady who went out and saw young kids socializing on the playground, away from parental supervision to kind of see kids in their natural habitat, if you will. And the guy asked this sociology lady, so I don't understand, you're, you're saying that boys love rules, they love order and structure, but I don't understand because boys are also often the ones who are getting in trouble and getting disciplined for breaking the rules, so which is it? And she says, no, 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 let me be sure. Boys rebel against rules that are set up for them, but they love to make their own rules, right? Maybe younger brothers are uh, at the receiving end of some of those pernicious rules from the big brothers, right? It can be very troublesome. And is, but isn't that exactly how we are? We're such Pharisees. We, we exchange God's pure, good, perfect laws and commands, and we set up our own petty, silly, ridiculous, self-serving rules. It's fascinating. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities that God has set up. The gospel we see in chapter 3 verses 3 through 7, and more exhortations to Titus in verses 8 and 9, and a very helpful verse for elders and for church leaders, two verses, 10 and 11 of chapter 3, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. So, have you ever been accused You haven't done right by Matthew 18. You know Matthew 18. There's a very particular order of discipline. And this is a very helpful clause given in context of Matthew 18. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. It's helpful in authority and directing souls in the church. And then finally, toward the end of chapter 3, he gives personal directives to Titus. So let's start from the beginning. If you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. 
We'll read Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me read verse 5, which will help us understand what we just read. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So Paul gives the greeting, and then verse 5. Paul laid the foundation of church of the church in Crete. And he left because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Again, he couldn't stay in Crete forever any more than he could stay in the other cities. His work was to raise up men, raise up elders, raise up pastors, move on to the next city so the gospel would go out to all the Gentiles. He put Titus in charge in Crete. And Satan immediately tried to come in and overthrow the church order to corrupt the doctrine in the church. And this is how Satan is. Satan loves to disrupt church plants, establish churches, and to spread bad doctrine. To put in rebellious men in the church who will rise up and destroy souls. Some of the men in Crete were ambitious. They thought highly of themselves. Oh, you put Titus in charge? I thought I should be in charge. He thinks he can lead. I think I can lead better. And on the other hand, there were Jews telling people bad doctrine, that they must follow the Mosaic ceremonial law. Ambitious men and Judaizers, they both had a lot of followers there in Crete. So we have a problem there. The Apostle Paul needs to deal with it. So what, is he going to come himself? He's going to tell Titus what to do. They're causing trouble in the church. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus to arm him with all the authority he needed for this great work of caring for the churches there. And so the Apostle Paul writes not only to Titus, but to all the Christians who are reading this. So why does he begin Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ? That bears a lot of weight and authority. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Is that because Titus didn't know who Paul was? Is it because Titus disrespected the apostle Paul? No, it was for everyone else. It was for the sake of everyone else. They needed to understand that authority and leadership of the church had been given to Titus. So that's how the Apostle Paul begins the letter. And then that's how he explains what elders look like in the church. 
what qualifications a man must have to even be considered for the office of elder. Why must elders have these qualifications? So that they can do the work. If men's lives do not look like these qualifications right here, beginning in verse 5, then they simply won't be able to do the work. And Jesus Christ, his name will be dishonored in that church. The work of resisting adversaries, the work of exposing the sins of the people in the culture, the work of rebuking those who have bad doctrine, the Judaizers. Titus is to teach the Christians what godliness looks like. And the people are called to not grow tired of hearing about salvation and redemption in Christ. And if there are stubborn and rebellious people who refuse to hear, set them to the side. For the sake of those who will learn, for those who are actually growing in Christ. Don't sacrifice your ministry and waste your time on black holes like that. Rebuke them, but work for those who are growing in Christ. Build them up in the faith. The work of a pastor is difficult, difficult work. Titus had his work cut out for him. He needed to know who he was, what his calling was, what authority he had been given. And this gave him courage and faith to do the Lord's work. So verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, He is a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he first says, I'm a slave of God. I'm owned by him. Everything that I do is directed by him. In Paul's epistles, he sets out from the beginning who he is, what he's been called to, what he's doing, and why. And he is telling those in Crete his authority. And he's not ashamed of it. I'm an apostle. It's not humble for a pastor to get up in front of the church and act like he's not a pastor. It's not helpful to anybody. It's not a protection to anybody. It's disgusting for a leader to act like they're not in their position of leadership. The Apostle Paul was confident in what his Lord Jesus Christ had commanded him to do. So step number one with that weight of responsibility is to let everybody know that you know you're in charge. That's not proud. It's actually humble. And I don't mean like servant leader humble. For the term servant leader. That term is used a lot today. And generally it means a lot of service and no leadership. Servant leader. It's humble in the way that a warrior gets out on the battlefield and actually fights the enemy. He knows there's work to be done. Not the worthless guy who cowers over behind the bushes so that he doesn't get shot. The humble man gets out on the field and he fights. And if a leader stops and gets all bollocked up about what people think about you, it will hamstring you from doing the work you must do. The Apostle Paul knew people. 
He had enough compassion on them. He knew how wily and rascally we are, how rebellious we are, so he knew how to deal with sinners. And Titus needed to know how to do the same thing. And the rebellious men needed to know how Titus was going to deal with them, right? Again, Titus was not the one questioning Paul's apostleship and his authority. Titus knew who Paul was. Paul asserts his God-given authority in the hearing, especially of those who were rebellious, so that they would obey, so that they would stop rebellion. Power grabbers, like I said earlier. Well, Titus is in charge, but I can do it better. Well, sure, Dad and Mom know a thing or two, but I know better than that. No. Doesn't sound quite right. The problem of rebellion must be dealt with. If you do not discipline rebels, then they will be the authority. They will run amok. So you've been at the store and heard a child absolutely lose their mind for the whole store and the whole community and city to hear. You've heard it, right? There is authority in that family, and the authority belongs to the little rebel. And dad and mom submit to it. So the Apostle Paul is telling Titus, let no one disregard you. He actually writes later in the letter. It's a command. Like he wrote to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. It's a command. Don't tolerate it. You must lead. Souls are at stake. There are many rebels. Therefore, rebuke them severely. And so, this letter was to be read not just by Titus in private, it was to be read to all the people. And rebellion loves to be secret, right? How content the rebels would have been for this letter to never arrive to Titus so that they could keep plotting and scheming and rising up. Those who were arrogant, troubling the church in Crete, would have wished they could have continued to be in rebellion and in secret. They didn't want their deeds to be exposed. And that's how sin is in general with us. It loves the shadows. Sin doesn't want to be exposed for what it really is. Well, the Apostle Paul, because he has compassion on the people, he's not going to put up with that. He's going to call it out loud and clear from the opening verse of the letter. And he's going to teach Titus to do the same thing. And what a gift for those in Crete to hear it. Because we're naturally rebellious. This is how we are naturally. Boys, when you didn't have that teacher show up that day, and everyone's running amok and going crazy, that's how we are naturally. That's how adults act sometimes. It may not look the same way. But that's why we need to be reined in with letters like this, with instructions and commands. So the Apostle Paul writes, Okay, you proud, sneaky rebels, I see your rebellion, 
and I raise you in the authority of Jesus Christ. I am an apostle, so listen. It's a blessing when deeds are finally exposed. So I heard recently there was a city council. You know, the councilors come in and they were wearing like t-shirts and like plain shorts. These are council members who represent the city. Well, word got out that they were coming in all disheveled, into work, so one of the citizens comes and starts videotaping the council members. Well, you bet, next council meeting, they came in in suits and ties, right? And that's how it is. We would rather our deeds be done in secret when we're sinning. Of course, that's a silly example with the city council. That's just talking about physical physical appearance. But how sweet a thing to know that you're being watched. How often at home, in my leadership of my family, if I become angry when I shouldn't be angry, or I become angry and sin in my anger, I often stop and think, I wonder if I would speak this way or act this way if what I was doing right now was being broadcast to everyone I know. Think about that. Those of you who lead, especially, the next time you sin or are tempted to sin in your anger, stop and think, is this how I would be speaking and acting? if what I was doing was live for the world to see right now? Well, it is broadcast because God sees it all. And those of us who lead, we will give an account for all of it on the day of judgment. That's why the Apostle Paul in verse 1 says he is a bondservant. He's a slave of God. He writes he is an apostle, He's been called in that office. He's also God's slave. What God has commanded me to do, that's what I'm going to speak. That's what I'm going to do. He writes in verse 1, For the faith of those chosen of God, that's why, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Again, the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So his work... Preaching the gospel moved him to other places. Immediately after Paul left, Satan was at work in the church in Crete. And God sent the Apostle Paul. God established Titus there. And God establishes elders and leaders throughout the history of the world to... Preach the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. So that the people will not abandon the Lord. How quickly we're tempted to abandon the Lord. And so we teach God's word. We study it. We preach it 
first to ourselves so that we'll be a good example to others and to our children. And that's also where I want you leaders to take note. I read this, I think, to Patrick and Ryan soon. Aesop's Fables. If you don't have a copy of this, get one. Leaders must be a good example. Listen to this. The crab and his mother. So if you've read Aesop's Fables, there's a little story and then the moral of the story. The crab and his mother. An old crab said to her son, Why do you walk sideways like that, my son? You ought to walk straight. How do crabs walk? They walk side to side. It's really weird. But this mother crab yells at her son, You should walk straight. Why do you walk like that? The young crab replied, Show me how, dear mother, and I will follow your example. The old crab tried, but tried in vain, and then saw how foolish she had been to find fault with her child. And the moral is, example is better than precept. So the Apostle Paul was more than an example to Titus. We'll finish in verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. The Apostle Paul had borne the soul of Titus. He doesn't say, Titus, you good for nothing. That's not leadership. He was an example. He sets qualifications for elders so that the men who end up leading the church in Crete are examples. They just don't go around with an iron rod beating people, they're examples first and foremost. Imagine Titus receiving this letter. Can you imagine how thankful and encouraged he was? Just the weight of all the souls there in Crete falling on his shoulders. Verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested, even his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Savior. God had made Paul an apostle, and he gave Paul the word of God to proclaim. And God entrusted Titus to continue that work. There are false teachers, so shut them down. To teach the people we just read. To teach the people with which I was entrusted, verse 3, according to the commandment of God our Savior. In other words, Titus was not there to make silly, arbitrary, selfish rules that served only himself. He was there as a herald of Jesus Christ to teach the people to love and obey Jesus. Would have Titus been put in charge if he had proven himself to just be a selfish and an abusive leader? No, the Apostle Paul never would have stood for it. 
how easy it is if you are in a position of authority to exasperate those who are under your care. If you're in a position of leadership, stop and think about the actual commands and directions that you give to those who are under your care. Are you teaching those who are under your authority to follow and love Jesus Christ and His Word, or are you embittering them with silly, small-minded commands, but that just serve your selfish desires? And so as a leader, watch out that you do not abuse your authority for the sake of those under your care, for your own sake, and for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't abuse your authority. But on the other hand, that does not mean a leader stops exercising his authority. A leader must lead. It's a fine line. It's so easy to fall into either ditch, to either not lead or to be abusive in your leadership. You have to lead because some who are under authority will always rise up and take opportunities to tear down and to rebel. This is the whole reason, again, for Paul writing this letter to Titus. He's trying to establish a clear order and authority so that the gospel will go out, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't damaged there in Crete, and so that the Christians will live godly lives. If a church despises their pastor, if the Christians here start running amok and despising Titus, then that church will be torn down and God will not be glorified there. But still, a leader must do first. What he must do is look to his own life. So you can imagine as Titus read the qualifications for elder. So these are the kind of men you're looking for. At first he looks at the list and he says, wow, does my life match up with this? If he's wise, that's what he'll do. If you are a leader, look to your example first. The Apostle Paul makes clear from these opening sentences, we must place our trust and hope and confidence in God for this work. He writes, our inheritance is in heaven, in the hope of eternal life. God has not lied about that. He never lies. Our hope is eternal life. That hope gives us faith to either lead here by faith or to be led by faith. Some of us here have the difficult work of being in authority. And so verse 4, to close, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. He's not lording it over Titus. He loves him as a son. We have a common faith together. That is godly authority and leadership. And we are all under authority. We're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Normally, it's Christ Jesus, our Lord, we often write in these opening sentences. 
But the Christians in Crete needed to hear it, and we all, under the authority of Jesus, needed to hear these words of grace and peace to us well. From God the Father and Christ Jesus, who has saved us from our sins. Let's pray. 